0: ...as we go through the rest of the series. So, uh, just kind of keep that in mind. Like, if if you're like, he didn't really talk too much about this, we're probably going to get to it sometime during these 12 weeks. Because we're really trying to squeeze in as much of what we believe about... ...the church and worship and... ...and mission and... ...baptism and community. Like, all of these things that kind of make up the life of a church. Community groups. All of that. Where all of those things fit within the big picture of everything. So this is going to be, I feel like we're going to leave lots out because there's just so much to understand. And I have a verse that says that (laughs) here in a bit. So it's going to kind of be my cover up for when I say I don't fully understand everything, here's why. Um, But I just kind of want to get you, your brains in the right place. And I think by the end of this, where we're going to land today, I think can be really helpful to us um, in the way that we perceive God and hopefully in the way that we perceive ourselves in relationship with him. So if you're in Romans chapter one, the first thing that we have to say that we believe, and this seems so simple, but it's a really big deal. We believe that God exists. We believe that God is real. Romans chapter one, verses 19 and 20 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Basically what Paul is saying right in the opening of his book to the Romans is that he's saying, hey guys, God is real and we don't have an excuse because all the stuff that he's, that, that's been made, we can't deny that it was made by somebody and it was made by God. So, so we believe that He exists. Another way uh, of, of saying that comes from Psalm 19. This is verses 1 and 2. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So basically, in both of these verses, we're getting this picture of, because God created everything, which is a big statement to say all in itself, but, but to say God created all this stuff, we see all of these things working out in creation. We're able to see um, huge piles of snow being dropped on the ground, and we're, and, but at the same time, we're also able to see beautiful sunny days that are nice and really, really warm, or was that just in my dreams last night, as I was anticipating that someday it will warm back up. We don't have an excuse but to believe that God exists because we exist within this creation that works together so perfectly for us to be able to live in and exist in. This sort of thing doesn't just happen by a happy accident. No matter what it is that you have been told. These things don't just accidentally come together and form themselves and up from some muck we come This stuff happened because God designed it to happen. And and the creation that we live in reveals his existence to us just because it just works so well. And we're without an excuse because we've seen how well all of this works. To say that God doesn't exist is to deny the truth that's before us within creation that we see. So the first thing, God exists. God is real. And the second thing, God can be known. Back again in Romans 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, right? God has made himself able to be known by his creation. He could have created everything and left it alone, never to be known. Gotten away. Completely detached himself. But he didn't. He revealed himself to creation. He said, these are truths about me. These are the things that we're going to be looking at today. He saying, this is who I am. I am this. I am this. I am this. I am this. He made it to where he can be known. He wants us to know who he is. And we'll talk about why that is in just a little bit. But even in that he can be known, we can't fully understand God. We cannot fully know God. Psalm 145. Verse three says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. There's going to come a point where in our trying to understand who God is, trying to see the truth of who he is, have it all revealed to us that we're going to get to a point where we're like, I can't know everything about him. He's just so big, so powerful, so many things We are never going to have a perfect knowledge of who God is. Not to say we shouldn't strive to know God better and better day by day by day, all of these things, but but we shouldn't expect to think, I'm going to know everything about God. Because once we can know everything about God, then we're basically putting ourselves in the place of God. Because only God, and we'll talk about this in a minute, only God can fully know himself. Only God is capable of understanding everything about who he is. Everything that we know about God, we know because God wants us to know, because God has shown it to us, and he shows it to us in Scripture. So so what we're going to be doing today is, like I said, we can know God, but we don't know everything about him because we only know what little bit of him he's, he's shown to us and that we're able to actually wrap our brains around. I always think back to like Paul saying, I'm trying to write to you in human terms because God's revealed some things to me about himself that I just don't think you'd get. Like, I just don't think your brains are ready to to understand all of who God is that he's shown me yet. And I I, I find that... Sometimes a little bit frustrating, but a little bit humbling and a good reminder that it's okay when we're reading verses and when we're reading and trying to understand things about Jesus, things about salvation or things about the way we're supposed to live as believers. If we don't know the answer, if we can't quite get it, that's okay. (laughs) That is helpful to me to know you might not get all of this right up front, but but just know that all of these things that we're going to say about God are things that He has kind of concretely described himself as. And that's going to be really helpful to us. We might not fully understand why he is the way that he is, but we're going to uh, hopefully be able to learn to trust that he is that way. So I was trying to think through how are we going to kind of organize this. And so I was reading through lots of different ways that guys have, have approached talking about who God is and how he works and all of this. And... In the end, most people, and this is going to sound really techy and like really nerdy, but it's the easiest way to break these down. Most of the like big theology guys break these down into two types of attributes of God. You have incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. So what that means is there are some things about God that only God can be. And there are some things about God that, that he shares with creation. They're like tangible things like, like things like, like love or knowledge or wisdom. They're things that we can kind of share with Him, but there are some things about God that we just aren't and that, that are true of Him and only Him, and those are the things that we're going to kind of start with today. We're going to kind of get some of the, the things that really make Him God and big, and the first thing, the first Part of God's nature. The first aspect of who God is that he doesn't really share with the rest of creation is his own independence. God doesn't need us though we bring joy to him and though we bring glory to him. He doesn't. It's not like, it's not like, oh man, I am incomplete if I don't create this thing. He was perfect for eternity past, which we'll talk about in a sec. He was perfect forever and just all that He needed to be, and then He made us. Not because He needed us, but because He wanted to. So God is independent. Acts 17, 24 and 25. These are going to come fast. You might just try writing down the the verses and go back and read later. Acts 17, 24, 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind and breath and everything. Psalm 50, 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. One more, Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. All of creation, all of this is not something that God created to complete himself. He was complete. He was good. But he created us for his glory, just like that last verse said. I created for my glory. I don't need... <laughs> this sounds kind of like depressing because I'm sitting here saying, God doesn't need you. But in a sense, God doesn't need you. Like, you bring joy to him. You are his, you are his, his prized creation, right? He said that at the end. This is very good. Like, I created them so that I would be glorified, but in the end, it's not like he's coming to us for help for anything. Hey, I need this thing built, and I can't do it. I'm glad I created you guys so you can accomplish this thing that I couldn't accomplish without you. He uses us, and that's amazing. And that, I think, is probably even more amazing when you think about the fact that we get to communicate with God. We get to be a part of God's plan. We get to be used by God, even though he didn't need us. He doesn't have to have us, but the fact that he does use us should be that much more amazing to us that he brings us in and uses us as a part of his plan. So part, so part one, he's independent. He doesn't. He's not. He's not required. He's not requiring any thing that we bring to complete him. Second, he's unchanging. Uh, this is one of those times where I'm going to start saying things that are from Wayne Grudem that sound way smarter than me. God is unchanging in his being, perfection, purposes, and promises. Psalm 102, 25-27 says, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. There are other places where God says, I'm God. I don't change. I don't change my mind. I don't change things about the way I am. Like, if I reveal myself as loving, I don't stop being loving. If I reveal myself as full of wrath, I don't change from being full of wrath. Like, I am all of these things, and that's the big point that we're coming to at the end. God doesn't stop being one thing. When, when Jesus came to earth, I'm kind of spoiling a little bit of where I'm going next week. It wasn't that God the Father stopped being a spirit, and then he became a man, Jesus, who walked upon the earth. And then when Jesus left, Jesus ceased being a man and became a Holy Spirit. That's not, that's not how God is. He doesn't change. He has all of these different aspects that he is equally being at any given moment. And every single thing about his character that we're going to read the rest of the way here is true of him all the time. Um, I've often used, when I've talked about how I try to understand how to interpret verses, I use like the, I, the picture of algebra. Algebra just makes sense to me. I, some people might hate algebra. But like the idea that anything that's true on this side of the equals is always true on this side of the equals. If you add two to both sides, it's still the same. If you divide them by two and then square them, it's all the same. As long as long It's like this always equals this no matter what. God is kind of in that. It, that's kind of how I understand all these attributes of God. God is equally this, God God equals love, God equals wrath, God equals judgment, God equals holiness, all of these words that we're about to start talking about. He always equals all of those things, and none of those things change. You can't just all of a sudden say, now God doesn't equal this. Because you can't do that. The math doesn't compute. He's unchanging. So what about in moments like with, with Jonah, where God says, Go preach to these people that I'm going to judge them if they don't change their ways. And Jonah's like, I don't want to. And he's like, you're gonna. And then they change their ways and he doesn't. Or what about with Saul when he says, I'm going to make Saul your king. And then he's like, I regret that I made Saul your king. Or what about in those moments like like when Israel was was going, they left Egypt and they're going and all of a sudden they're like, I don't think we should go. And God's like, fine, you don't get to go. I'm going to make you wander around in the desert. Or maybe I should just wipe you off the face of the earth. And Moses says, but God, you probably shouldn't do that. And God says, fine, I won't. What about in those moments? Isn't God changing his mind there? Again, smarter quotes from smarter people. In those moments, he calls it a true expression of God's present attitude toward a situation. I'm going to say that again so you can hear it again. In each of those moments, what we're getting is a snapshot of God's present attitude toward a situation. So in this moment, I want to destroy you. In this moment, I am not going to destroy you. In this moment. But all of these things, and we'll talk about this further down. All of these things are just individual moments that are a part of history playing out that God is outside of. Because God is eternal. He exists outside what our, what our finite brains can understand. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. He was before All of this was made. He is outside of creation. So when we see him interacting with creation and seeming to change his mind, how can he change his mind? Because he's where where the the trouble is and he's also in the future and he's also in the past because, because God is outside of time. Sometimes we call this like omnipresence. Like he's everywhere. He's not bound by space. He's not bound by time. Like I don't know how many dimensions you have to get to before you're to that point. He's always present in that moment. He's always present with us. He's never left us. He doesn't doesn't create us and then leave. He's with us always because He's not bound by space. So wherever you are, there God is. Whenever you say, God's abandoned me, He can't leave you. He's right there. Because He is everywhere. He sees everything. He He does not leave us. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? He's everywhere. He sees everything. He understands everything. So he can't, he can't change because he's just already everywhere. I mean, sure, to us, it's a perceived change because he's, he's saying a different thing than he said before. But the thing that he's saying at one point is perfectly in line with who he is at that moment. And two minutes later or two, two million years later, it could be that he's behaving, he seems to be behaving differently, but to him, he's just in line with his nature, who he is, what his standards are, what he requires. And the last of these things that we can't be is God is perfectly unified. Uh, This is a thing that we're going to get into next week. He's got, there are three distinct persons within God, um, but we serve one God. We don't serve three gods. We don't serve three different versions of the same one God. He's not a God who's morphed. He's not a God who's divided. He is it. He is unified. He He is one God. So those are kind of like the big, kind of hard to understand things because they're only true of him. So I don't think we can really grasp those things. We're going to be able to grasp a lot of these like communicable attributes, these aspects of God's character that we share. And I'm going to say that we share in part. We aren't going to be able to perfectly exhibit any one of these the way God does. But but we're going to understand it because God's given us kind of a portion of each of these pieces of himself. Uh, The first one is knowledge. Knowledge. I will be the first to tell you I don't have perfect knowledge of just about anything. I'm pretty close on, like, Star Wars trivia. But I don't know if that, that really matters in the long run. Um, so, but God perfectly knows everything about everyone, everything in creation, including himself. So earlier when I said we can know him, but we can't fully know him, God gets himself. God knows himself. God isn't wondering how he'll behave in a certain way. God knows himself perfectly. John 1, 3, this is the second half of verse 20, says, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So God knows himself. And we understand this. We get, we get, we get glimpses of knowledge. We can study the Bible. We can try to understand it. But, but our knowledge is not ever going to be as perfect as his. Wisdom. And I loved this. I'm, I'm stealing again because I love this. God always chooses the best goals and the best means to meet those goals. You get that? When, when there's a perceived option. God always chooses the best thing and the best way to accomplish the best thing. Because God's wisdom is perfect. Romans 11, 33-36. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom... And knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to Him be glory forever. God doesn't ask us for advice, is basically what He's saying. Who does God go to for counsel when he needs to make a decision? He doesn't need to because he makes the right decision every time. How is he going to get us to that right decision? He's going to get us there the best possible way. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, this area of my life has not been very good. And actually getting to this point has been really difficult. I didn't say the easiest. I didn't say the most fun. I didn't say the one that we're going to always necessarily enjoy the most from our perspective. But the way that God is going to get us to from point A to point B is the way that he perceives as best. Best in what way? Like I said, not necessarily our, like best for us in the moment, like what we would perceive as good or great or happy necessarily, but best for his own glory. The way that is going to bring him the most glory is the way that he's going to make all of these things come together. And be accomplished. You may be thinking, I, that sounds hard. I don't like that he's going to put me through difficult things. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It might not be the fun way, but it's the right way. Because it's the way that God has established for you to go. Because God has perfect Wisdom. God is truthful. Whatever God says is true, and He's the one who gets to pick the standards for what truth is. That's one that we sometimes can struggle with. I don't like that that's true. But He's the one who gets to say what's true, what's right, what's wrong. This also means that He's faithful, because the things that He says are going to happen are the things that happen, because God speaks the truth. I say this will happen, that will happen. Why? Because I'm God. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He's good. God is the standard of good. And all that he does is good. This is kind of that same idea under, within wisdom. Everything that he does is good. Luke 18, verse 19. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Not saying that Jesus is saying he's not God. That was kind of the irony of his statement. He's saying, by calling me good, you're calling me God. And, with, and within good, are all, his goodness, are things that we, that we perceive, the, the happy aspects of God's nature. Things like, like love and mercy and grace and patience. Love. 1 John 4, eight. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Romans 5, 8. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mercy. Showing goodness toward those who are in misery. 2 Samuel 24, 14. I know, I said I'm going through these really fast. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of of men. Like when we're down, when we are sad, when we are broken, when we're beaten, God is merciful. God is there for those who are in misery. He's a God of grace, which is goodness to those who deserve punishment. Romans 3, 23 and 24. We always stop at 23. I like 24 better. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He's patient, which is goodness through withholding punishment. Caleb read this verse a couple weeks ago. 2 Peter 3, nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All of these are are aspects of how good God is to His creation. He loves His creation and He demonstrates it through His mercy, through His grace, through His patience. All of these things. God is holy. Which means God is completely separate from sin. God, 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 God is not... God cannot be connected with his, with sin he he, he, he he hates sin he is separate from it entirely and this this is where this is where it starts to kind of start to take a shift and where we start to be like these are the happy attributes of God and these are the ones that are harder to hear but God is completely separate from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor exodus twenty six thirty three says This is talking about when they were building the tabernacle. He says, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate you for you the holy place from the most holy. God God is saying, I have to keep myself separate from you. Because you are in sin. You are broken. You are sinful. I can't be present with that. which is why He makes us holy. He makes us His people. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, talking about Christ in the church or husbands and wives, depending on which, which part of the metaphor you're wanting to read. It says that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So, so though God is holy, though God is separate, He makes us holy. He cleans us so that He can welcome us into His presence. God is righteous. He is the standard for what is right. Isaiah 45, 19 says, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. That is hard to hear for some of us sometimes. That's not right. I know what is right. God is jealous. You're thinking, that sounds like a bad thing. God continually seeks to protect his own honor. Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Because God is holy and he seeks only his own honor. Because he knows that only he is worthy of praise. Because only he is perfect. Only he can perfectly represent love and mercy and grace and goodness and all of these things. Only he is worthy of that level of affection. And so, so only he can righteously be jealous. When God says what's, like we said, God gets to pick what's right. It's right for God to be jealous and it's not right for us to be jealous. Because we are not God. Exodus 34, 14, for you shall worship no other God for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Like he's saying all that, all that praise, all that glory, all those things that you give your affection to, whatever it may be in your life, all of those things that you think you love more than anything else in the world, that's for me. Basically give it back. That's mine. And then finally, God is a God of wrath. Because God intensely hates all sin. Back in Romans 1, 18, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. we just went through a whole long list. And you're sitting there thinking, because I said earlier, I said it's like algebra. All of these things are equally true at all times. But man, wrath and judgment d- seem to stand in stark contrast to mercy and grace. And it's hard to wrap our brains around, like our finite brains. It's hard to wrap around that idea that God can both be full of love and full of wrath. Um, but God is equally all of these things at the same time. Uh, Psalm 103, this is verses 8 and 9, says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. That sometimes gets translated as wrath, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us. He does not deal with us according to our sins. So, he is a God of wrath who hates sin, but he's also a God who deals with wrath and takes away sin. Because, because he is holy, and, and I, can't, I, can't, I don't feel like I can elevate any one of these attributes above all the rest. He's equally all of these things. But the one to me that always stands out as the most important for me to remember when I struggle with, why is God being f- so filled with wrath and passing judgment in such a harsh way? Or why is he dealing with this person in this way? Or why, why is it that he treated Israel this way for this time? Or why is it that he treats the church this way for so, such a period of time? It's because ultimately, I, I I naturally want to elevate the idea of God being holy, and God being righteous, and God being able to say, "I have to punish sin. I have to punish sin because I can't be in the presence of sin." And He's right to do that because because it stands in contrast to everything that He is, and He is. So so His wrath is justified. His wrath is right. His wrath is needed. His wrath is. Honestly, desire, like, like we deserve that wrath. So, so, so when we know that he is punishing sin, when we see people who, who die and they did not acknowledge him, and, and we know they are now in a place of wrath and judgment, that is right because that's who God is and God can't be in the presence of sin. But we also know at the same time that God is a God of grace and patience and mercy. And so, and so I don't want to spoil all the salvation stuff because we're going to get to salvation. We're gonna, I, I know. I'm trying to stop. I'm trying to stop. But I can't, I can't not say this part. But, but because God is both of these things at the same time. And we are finite. We are in time, unlike he who is separated from all of it and can kind of see the whole playing field. We don't know who's in and who's out. We don't know who's going to get saved, who's not going to get saved. So we got to fight as hard as we can while we're here to tell as many people about who he is and all of these truths about the nature of God. We got to talk about his wrath because if we don't tell them, you're, you're in trouble because you're in sin. If we, don't, if we don't get that truth across, they think, oh, well, I'm good. I don't need God to save me. We got to talk about wrath. But we also got to talk about grace. We got to talk about love. We got to talk about goodness. We got to talk about righteousness. All of these things that we're saying, we got to understand. We got to take time and, and read the Scripture. I mean, I've literally been all over the place. That's because the whole book is revealing to us who God is. So we got to be in it, and we gotta be, we got to be praying and begging God to help us understand as much of this as we can. And we got to be taking it with us wherever we go so that we can tell people, you need to know who this God is, because everything about who this God is is going to affect you in a good way or in a bad way, and I hope it's in the way where you're following Him and you get to understand what his, how His grace has affected you. I feel like I just squeezed in as many words as I possibly could in that amount of time. And I know I didn't explain all of these very well. I know I didn't get to every little detail about all these. I know you're going to have questions. What do you mean about this? What do you think about that? If you have questions, you can ask me. You can send me a message on the city. You can bring it up in your community groups. I, 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 I would imagine that community groups can very easily just get locked in on one. That's fine. If there's one that's really your group is struggling with spend some time talking about it do exactly what i did this week which i i didn't sit there and say i got to talk i got to do a 40 minutes on the theology of god perfect i'm ready to go i'll just start typing no go read the bible read what god says about himself try to find different areas where god explains how he works and be okay with understanding that we don't get all of it and it's going to be hard and that's why that's why we have the church that's why we have the bible but ultimately we have the promise that we get to be with Him and that that that's good because He's good and He loves us and He wants us to be His people. Let's pray. God, there was so much in here. I feel like I just flew through that way faster than I can really keep up with, but God, I know that every single one of these words that you gave us this morning were the words that you wanted us to hear. And God, I just pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding of who you are. That you would reveal to us exactly who it is that you are. Help us to understand and know and love you exactly as you are. God, sometimes it's, it's hard to accept different aspects of your character, your nature, these things. There are things about how you reveal yourself that that because of our sin, we're naturally inclined to want to reject, to say, I don't feel so good about that, but God, I just pray that you would soften our hearts and just cause us to rest in your word and trust that your Holy Spirit is at work in helping us to see these things and understand. God, help us just to be amazed when we walk outside and we see creation. To just say, wow, you made all this. And just to be moved to joy and worship, just as we see even the, the smallest of details in the things that you've made. God, cause us to be motivated to take action because, because of our knowledge of your wrath and your holiness, that you can't be around sin And God, cause us to be a people that desire to show all of these aspects of who you are to anybody and everybody. God, I just want to pray for our kids that are all in the back room making crafts and messes and, and having people explain to them who you are week after week after week. I pray that you would be after their hearts and changing their hearts and helping them to understand who you are and be filled with the same amount of joy over who Jesus is. Thank you that you have been at work in their lives and that we've gotten to baptize some of them. That's so cool. Uh, I pray that you would continue to be after their hearts and after ours, that you'd be saving people, that we would be getting to baptize even more people It was said last week during testimonies that we baptized four people last year in a church that maybe averages 40. That's amazing that you've been that faithful to us in this place. And God, I just pray that you would constantly remind us of these ways that you've been working, these ways that you have been acting and that we would just be so overwhelmed with your goodness and your love for us and that we would be so moved to worship. That as we, as we sing now, as we respond, as those of us who are saved come up and take communion or as we leave our tithes or offerings, that all of that would be done with joy knowing that we get you, that we get to be with you, we get to love you, we get to be your people and you get to be our God. In Jesus' name. Amen.